What's up, Mikey? How you doing? Good. Hello, Michael. Michael, that's very formal. Yeah, no, you are a very formal guy. You deserve it, in my opinion. I am not a very formal guy. I can't be at this point. You've had a green chicken on that. How am I going to compete with any of this? You can't. You can't compete with a green chicken. People, welcome back to the Future's Edge podcast. I'm Jim Uriel, the Brains Behind the uh, Operations, Bob Icino, and executive producer. And Mike Arnold is our guest every first Friday, who is our technical analyst. He's brilliant. If you haven't watched him yet, you should. The first 10 minutes of the show is on the first Friday of every month. So we talk about the unemployment numbers, which actually, I mean, I, I couldn't even speak after I saw him today. Bobby, what's your first impression after seeing those numbers? Um. First of all, I think Jerome Powell looks like a complete fool from the way he treated the press conference. Um, again, I think that somebody, I don't know who it was, but somebody stated that Jerome Powell went from aggressively hawkish to mildly hawkish. Um, and I think him just ignoring the fact, it's a fact that financial conditions have loosened. You can just go to the Chicago Fed Index and, and I can put up a chart while we're talking to Mike if somebody wants me to. But you go to the Chicago Fed Financial Conditions Index, you don't have to pay for a Bloomberg and use their index. Uh, Chicago Fed has a free one and it's been on the decline since the middle of the year. The last reading, and we'll get another one on February 8th, this of course is Friday, February 3rd. Um, the last reading took us back to the, the level of financial looseness that we had on May 6th of last year. And there'd only been 25 basis points of tightening at that point. So. For him to continually say, and more than one reporter, who would have thought a reporter would ask poignant questions? But the financial reporters kept saying, so financial conditions have loosened. How do you feel about that? And he's like, well, monetary policy is clearly tightened. And he just kept ignoring the question, <laughs> which led me down a lot of mental rabbit holes that I won't go into right now. But the number wasn't so much shocking to me as it was the shocking part, as Steph Pomboy put it best to me, it doesn't match up with almost any other data. Okay. So this is a point I'm going to make, and then I want to hear you respond to it. Because Mark Zandi posted some things on Twitter. Joe Lavornia, yeah. um, he texted me, and we uh, talked about some things. Mark Zandi says that there is something with the seasonality of the BLS measurement system for January. There's something for the fact that it couldn't account this year particularly for the fifth warmest January on record, which uh, factors into employment quite a bit. Joe Lavornia says this is the last gasp that this is wrong. And, and I will add this, twos versus tens inverted further after this, meaning the market is saying, you know, but the market is saying that perhaps this is illusionary, perhaps this is a, a you know, miscalculation, but either way, it might embolden Jerome Powell to hit the, uh, hit the brakes, I guess it would be a little bit more with more tightenings. The terminal rate got added another quarter point put in, but then two tight of two easings by the end of 2023. What I'm saying, I guess, is I think there is an element of this number that is absolute, complete bullshit. What do you think about that? So if, you know, I said this uh, to mine and Mike's group and path trading partners, like I, I don't ever go to the data's wrong. I never do that, you know, because it's like, uh, the example I always give people is like 60 degrees in Florida feels a shitload colder than 60 degrees in Chicago does. It just feels colder to me. This is the data we get, right? And I saw one tweet today where a guy said, you know, they've been doing, doing these seasonal adjustments forever and the analysts should have been able to figure out that the seasonal adjustments were being put in. I'll read from Steph Pomboy's tweet. I'm still trying to gather my senses after that stunning payrolls number. Are they just making this stuff up now? The payroll gain comports with nothing else we are seeing. Layoffs, small business hiring, ISM surveys, ADP, et cetera, et cetera. But here's one answer. Part-time employment up 627,000. Somebody else tweeted, and I don't know who it was because I don't remember, without the season, seasonal adjustments, it's minus 2.1 million. <laughs> Let's just wait is the way I look at it because <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wish they wouldn't seasonally adjust anything and just let us as investors and traders. We'll do it. Yeah. We'll good do point. It. Yeah. We'll go ahead. My, see, Mike agrees with that. Just don't see It's like, it's like non-gap earnings. 
right? Yeah. Why would you release non-generally accepted accounting principle earnings? Why would you release that? <laughs> like, just go by generally accepted accounting principles. Let everybody else deal with it. We'll they figure admit, it out. These, what we are posting is bullshit. It's not generally accepted accounting principles. And so many companies do that now. I feel the same way about this. So I don't know if the numbers are bullshit. It's the data we get. But I do think that one of two things is wrong. Either that non-farm payrolls number or the cuts that are being priced into 2023. One of the two of them is wrong. And the one thing about the cuts to 2023 um, is that if they are going to begin cutting at the end of 2023, it's not going to be by some measly 25 base points because if they are pushed to actually really pivot and cut, it's going to be because something is breaking and breaking hard. Yeah, I mean, there's a crisis. They're not, if there's not a crisis, they're not going to cut. If there is a crisis, they're not going to cut by 25 basis points. Well, Mike might flip out on this, but something else we talked about on our live stream is if this is the jobs, why would you cut? Leave rates higher and leave yourself some bullets. Oh, amen. For the this is really it. Don't cut. Don't ever cut if it stays yeah. like this. Why would you cut? Take it back to last point I'll make, and then we can go to Mike. Uh, Bridgewater, for a long time, the biggest hedge fund on the planet. I don't know if they still are or not, right? Just hired a 37-year-old co-CIO. The last time money had a cost, she was 17. <laughs> okay, let that sink in. On with the show. Oh, Bridgewater's the guy with the hair. What's his name again? He wrote the, the book. Hair, Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio needs better friends because you need a friend who will tell you, Ray, dumb haircut. Jack Dorsey needs the same thing. <laughs> Hang out with your high school friends. Jack, your high school friends would say, God, lose the beard, pal. You look like a fool. You look like a homeless fool who thinks he's smarter than everyone else. Yeah, you know, these guys. <laughs> but anyway, right? Michael, how are you? I'm, I'm good. Just don't tell me to grow hair. Come no, on. you can. Yeah, I like your look. I think it, I think you should go with a goatee too. But you know, that's just I used to do that. But you know yeah. what? It took maintenance, and I'm a very low yeah. maintenance guy. Understood. So. Understood. <laughs> I always think that's a cool look, though. Yeah. You know. So these what do you numbers, want to look at first? Stocks. Yeah. Why not? You know what? Because it's everything. Everything is still in that buy the dip mentality. Buy no matter what. Even with those Apple earnings, it was just rip, rip and buy Apple. All right. We said yesterday. Well, I said yesterday on one of my live streams because it triggered a. Uh, you get this kind of buying pressure either after a capitulation at a bottom, or at a blow off top, and that doesn't mean yesterday had to be the top but it sets the stage because you rarely have v-shaped tops but it sets the stage for more toppy area up here and then today with that apple gapping down and just i mean i thought it was like i was watching the stock and watching orders go by and it was like this this is the mad scramble to buy everything and we're already up, things are priced to perfection. And I'm sort of talking fundamentals now. Yes, they can keep going more, but things are absolutely priced to perfection. It means I had to get out my, uh, there we go, right here. My pets.com sock puppet. I can't believe you Oh, because pets.com, is that, a, is that a, a metaphor for the bubble? That's, yeah, that was, I mean, this, some of this price action reminded me of late stages or even after that first decline in NASDAQ and then everybody was rushing back in to buy it like, hey, earnings going down, no problem. Let's just buy everything again. Let's just throw it. Now, can we keep going? Sure. Because we're by some technical levels and, you know, I think we're in a tactical bull market, short-term bull we can shift back to a short-term bear. Long-term, it's still nothing's tipped. Actually, one of the long-term, a very reliable systems I follow actually has got more long-term bearish. Now that's long-term, meaning these lows that everybody thinks are, or not everybody, but a lot of people think are in in October, they could be a temporary low, but it's, this has even got because valuations and it takes not only in technical patterns, but also valuation metrics are getting very, uh, again, as I said, price to perfection. They're getting, you know, up there again. 
And we're not, it's not like we had a capitulation low. If we were having this kind of price action, we were trading S&P 3000, it'd be very different than having this kind of price action trading S&P 4150. Those are very different levels to be trading this kind of price action off. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. And this is where, yeah, we have now a potential minor short setup, minor, very minor you know, that could take us back, potentially back to 4,050. That's how minor it is. Okay, right. Now, we have to do a lot of what I call technical damage to get into a more substantial rollover pattern. There can, can, we, we, put the, can we put the chart up? Sure, I have, uh, yeah, hold on. Sorry, well, I should set this up for sharing. I haven't yeah, I, give me one second. Let me know. By the way, Jim, just so you know, I um, you, you should have it now, Mike. I, I sent Mike a list of stocks that I wanted to go over too. So we don't have to sure. go over all of them, but Apple was one. So if you could just show the Apple, we'll check that off the list, Mike. Sure. Well, we can do whatever you was want. Well, there show we... the chart you were just talking to Jimmy about, and then we'll go to the Apple chart after that. All right. Can you see the S&P? Yep. All right. Like this is how minor the, the pullback pattern is it would take us back to a concept we've talked about on multiple podcasts with the rotations on it just takes us back to that could Mike, this... can i ask you a quick question sure. you know because sure. we haven't gone over the process in, in uh, a couple of months can you explain what some of those squiggly lines are to people uh sure the let me take off some of these right here so we'll simplify the chart uh so the squiggly lines, we have the eight EMA, exponential moving average, the 21 EMA, the 50 EMA, and the 200 simple. Why do we watch these combinations? The 200 and the 50 are target magnets, okay? You can see even with the 50, when we came down in, de in December of, so this is a longer, this is from December, caught on it, bounced back. It then turned into resistance, 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 broke through, then became support. Now, the other concept we have are between the eight and the 21, we watch for what we call rotations. So we finally broke above key resistance, little bit farther back, but cut on that 50 and then rotated back up, dip in the rotation zone, rotated back up. This last third uh, Tuesday, end of January, dip in the rotation zone, rotated back up. Even Wednesday, J-Pow Wednesday into the rotation zone, rotated back up. Now we're getting overextended. That's where I bring on. So that's the simple aspect of it. Then we bring on the other key data points and the key patterns. So we have a potential minor topping pattern that would take us back potentially into the rotation zone. What I am going to be watching for is what that I call the secondary reaction, which is gonna tell us a lot. We get back into the rotation zone and hold, we have a lot of support in here between 4,000 and 4,100, a lot. Even from end of November, that we had resistance, resistance, and now that's turned back into support. So we get in here, we get a secondary reaction, that strength of the secondary reaction will give us insight into more patterns. Are we gonna possibly get another bigger rollover pattern? Or are we back to, let's just buy it all and hold our nose and keep moving on higher? I'm in that camp. Tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> tell you why you're wrong? I can't tell you why you're wrong because I don't have, I don't have a pattern that contradicts that at this point. We've actually closed when we closed above this 4,018 level back on the 23rd of January, it predicted prices to come uh, up to first was 41.21 and then is 42.26. We have in an ABC uh, little corrective pattern, this A being the lows from October, mid-October, B, uh, B being this, this high from mid-December, C, C, and then we get it projected up, we have a minimum target of 42.25. So 
Can we easily still run higher from here? Yeah, easily. The next key level that we'll be watching on the upside, and I always like to put out key levels on the upside, the next key level will be a weekly close above, let me clear off, a, a, where is my level? A weekly close above about 42.10. And then the major level, which we've talked about before, is still a weekly close above 43.70. If we get a weekly close above 43.70, uh, this thing, not guaranteed, but we could definitely make a run much higher than people think. Are we there yet? No, so everything else would be still a tactical short-term bull rally. Okay, tell me this, the 50 crossed the 200 day, uh, does that mean anything to you? No. Okay, because that's the, just for, for you guys watching, that's that golden cross bullshit or the death cross when the opposite happens. I personally, when something's called a death cross, I immediately think it's some, some, some sort of knucklehead came up with it to try to grab clicks or whatever. So it never really means a lot to me either, but you say no. And I've been asked this in our, in our live streams too. It, it tests out horribly. Now the golden cross tests out slightly better than a death cross because there's a natural upside bias in stocks. But the right. timing mechanism to say, we just had that cross, we're in like a long-term bull market, complete fluey, just like a, the cross before when the 50 crossed below the 200, that's a long-term bear market. It's a, it's a indicator that stuff is changing, but it's not a reliable indicator. Like we could come back up, we could even make higher prices for the next couple of months and then roll over again and you'll just get another whipsaw move. It's why we don't follow that. There's a lot more reliable things to follow than that. If you just look, Jimmy, at where the, the death cross crossed down, and again, the golden cross, slightly more reliable, um, the death cross specifically almost never works immediately, almost never. Now it's very hard to say never, but in the testing that I've done, you generally see it pull all the way back to the 200. And then if that holds, that's a decent short signal. I would say the same thing for the golden cross. Generally, you can't rely on it until it's pulled back and retested it and held. And even then you have to reach an objective before it actually makes itself worth. If you go back and just look at them, I mean, you can just pull up a chart and just scroll and find every time it happened, you'll see almost, I would give it, and I'm making this up, in my head, a 70%, 80% that it pulls back to where the cross happened. And if you look at where the cross happened now, you're back below 4,000 and that'll freak a lot of people out in this environment. Yeah, could so easily. It's, it's unreliable. And gotcha. not only is the timing not reliable, there's no consistent targets that I've been able to find. Nothing, it's all over the place. So. Okay. You have inconsistent timing, inconsistent targets. Therefore, given the combination of both those, I can't, I can't trade it. Okay, makes sense to me. I don't trade it. I thought you would say that, so I'm good. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's where we stand. So, yes, we still have bullish patterns in play. But if you take just – if I take a bunch of these lines off, if we just go to simple – if I take FXG, all the indicators off, what have we done? All right, so we've we've come off of the major low from mid-October. We made a high in mid-December, and now we're making a higher high. So just off that, are we still in a at least a short to medium-term uptrend? Yeah, you start getting a close at least below this lows from right before Christmas, Thursday the 22nd. The pattern will have shifted again now. Could we just be in, if you look at this whole other thing, was everybody, or not, I keep saying everybody, when, by everybody, I mean my, the retail people I survey. The retail people I've surveyed, and I told Bob this, 87%, I like to come up with the probabilities, but the numbers, 87% said both, uh, new highs by the end of the year in both NASDAQ and S&P. But... What if it's tactical both long and short for the time being and we're just caught overall in a huge sideways pattern? It doesn't have to be a macro bull or macro bear market anytime in the short term. 
There's something else to think about. Like there's always a, there's a media thing and, and Jimmy and I have our, have very similar feelings about the mainstream financial media, but you know, I, I watch much more Bloomberg than I do anything else now. And, and I don't even watch that as much as I used to, but all I kept hearing in January is a mammoth January, just an unbelievable start to the year. If you go back to the close in November of say the NASDAQ 100 to where we are now, you're 4%. So it's not really mammoth. It's not, you know, December was down on the NASDAQ 100 over 8%. And then January was up about 10% for a net of about one and a quarter percent, not a whole. So, you know, people tend to go, okay, it's a new year, zero. And I was like, awesome. I'm up 10 and a quarter percent this year already. All right, take it easy. It's literally like, you know, you gained 30 pounds over the holidays. You're like, ah, I'm down 10 pounds this month. It's great. <laughs> you're still net up 20, you know? It's a pipe down. I got you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Pipe down, everybody. Yeah. I mean, even Apple, more you want Apple to say down on its lows, Mike. Apple was down uh, from its all-time high down to its lows. That's high to low, so it's not really a good metric. was down 28%. As of today's close, from its all-time high, it's still down 15.4%. So it's still a pretty big, and anybody who was chasing it up there is still underwater by quite a bit. Oh, by the way, when we go to these, a couple individual stocks, I want to send this message out to my lawyers. I will not be participating nor recommending any individual stock by yourselves. I will let these guys do the conversation. I know my licensing dictates that I talk strictly about futures. At least that's what you guys tell me all the time. But anyway, let's move I will on. I will talk about the stocks. Yes. Yeah. All right. You want to just take a let's look at on, the- Let's stay on futures, Mikey. Let's, you want to take a look at NASDAQ real quick? Sure. Sure. Again. Way, I'm not scared. I'll just zip it up, which is, you know, it's hard for me as you know, Bobby, but yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's nearly impossible. <laughs> So for the NASDAQ, do we have a potential very short-term topping pattern that could take us back into the rotation zone with a full potential target of about 12,150? Tactical damage isn't done until we drop below 11,700. So uh, there's a long way to go before we really start uh, unraveling stuff in the NASDAQ now. Do I think it's overreacted? Yeah, but it doesn't matter what I think. We should still, because of the key closing levels, we could get this pullback. We've come up to the 75 harmonic, which was the first major level after we got back above the 12,510. But from a probability standpoint, we could still easily get back up above 13,000 to roughly 13,350 area, 13,330 area before putting in a more substantial top. So this would be a short-term pullback. Do, do I love the chart? No, but I are the probabilities a guarantee for that? No, but do I have to go with what puts odds in my favor? Yes. Can I ask a question, Mike? Sure. So is, is this an oversimplification, but based on a probability standpoint, you're saying short-term pullback, medium-term potential bull, Long-term, you haven't got into, correct? Long-term is still another big rollover play. Long-term. That's okay. why, would I be backing up the truck to buy a lot of stuff that I was willing to hold long-term? And now my long-term is over a year, meaning I'm not looking to touch the position, whatever it's in. Am I looking to back something up and just say, I'm going to fill my portfolio with everything long-term and then uh, go visit Bob in Florida and land on the beach? No. But... <laughs> In the short, short, and short could be over by next week. <laughs> right. The pullback, we don't even have to, we don't even have to trigger this bearish pattern. You know what? We could, we could move sideways from here and then rotate back up. So, you know, there maybe, maybe very short term, there could be a pullback because we have cycles at the top, we're overbought. Then I'm going to be watching for the next rotation play. And just to reiterate one more point, after we get some kind of pullback, these what the secondary reaction, if people want to study something with the markets, 
instead of trying to call either a top or bottom off a primary reaction, watch for a secondary reaction. That's if you learn how to read and analyze secondary reactions, you'll really start to focus on whether, all right, the secondary reaction is going to lead us to new short-term highs. And I'm not talking all-time highs. I'm talking to new short-term highs above the peak potentially of this week. Or is it setting up for a more substantial rollover play, which then could shift the probabilities? But until that happens, the probabilities still say, after a pullback, higher prices. Makes sense. Okay. What do you want to look at next? Uh, real quick, because the, the Russell, I just want to touch on this really quick because it also has a short-term pullback pattern, but the Russell triggered also a pattern we don't talk about a lot, but a cup and handle back on the 20, the 20, the Friday, the 27th of January with the target being 2020. And we just came, but within 2016.9 yesterday. So we're almost there. We have a short-term pullback. Now, the Russell is interesting because we have a massive potential bombing pattern if it gets a weekly close above 2033. And that would have to be a weekly close. We could see even more upside running on the Russell substantially. So that's what I'm going to be watching for overall. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, other markets I'm looking at, the 10-year notes. Hey Mike, I'm sorry. Can I just ask you one last question about stocks? Sure. Uh, Cameron Dawson, in an interview I watched, she said that stocks are overbought in a bear market, and that's dangerous. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's why I'm saying, yes, they are overbought in a bear market. And as you know, things get more overbought. Things can run a lot farther than you think in bear markets is the nature of bear markets. And that's why just because something's overbought in a bear market, yes, I'm expecting some kind of consolidation or pullback. But will that just be a pullback that takes us to new lows? The odds of that happening without setting up a bigger pattern and giving us more concrete evidence that we've put in a short-term top, the odds of just like rolling over and crashing the new lows, unless there is some event that comes out of nowhere is very, very slim. Got it. Uh, you were about to put up the 10-year note. Is there any way we could switch that to the micro yield? Uh, just because I think people relate to it better in yield terms. The micro yield, uh... I don't have what you know you, you don't have a symbol no it's I fine let's have... just do the tenure then yeah Jude, can you give me give me the symbol right now i'll just put it up no i don't have it i don't know it do you oh. know it bobby what the tenure the micro the tenure yield. yield contract the micro yield oh i don't but if you're in trading view just type it in mike it comes up just type in a yield contract tenure yield contract uh. Because those are the TV, I follow the ones on the TVCs, but I don't, where's the micro? Uh, here we go. At this. Yeah, that, that looks like it, I bet. FMGA? I don't know. It doesn't. Let's see. Could be. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Well, that is not it. No. See, I have the one that's, but it's not the, I'd have to look that up. So if you. I've looked at it before. Keep talking and I'll try and find it. All right. On the 10 year. I'm watching, we've come up to, remember, as I said, we have, we follow this red line because it's a target line, which is the 200 simple. It ran up there once in uh, about the 19th of January, came up there again yesterday, the 2nd of February, and is now reversed off of it. We get a close below 114.05 and a half. We're watching for a pullback to 112.11. So okay. we could then have, again, higher yields. Now, is that going to new lows? No. That's a pullback, which would be interesting in the sense that it, are we going to get a pullback 
Now, a 10-year yields rising with a market a short-term market pullback? Well, we will have to see. The if you want me to just take a look at this chart with the T, I can roughly estimate where the yields would go. What is that? That's the uh, U.S. government bonds ten-year yield on uh, the. I think it's the Toronto Exchange. Good. Okay. Cool. They have really nice. I really, this is one I use for all my uh, all my yield curve analysis. Mm -hmm. But you, if this triggers, because it's going to roughly, you can see the patterns just reverse because yields and bonds are inverse. Right. So yeah. you get that close above three point five seven four. You're looking to a possible return to about three point eight one four. Okay. And you see the two hundred right there. So you're bouncing with yields twice off the 200, and you can see a nice little short-term bull run in yields, potentially. Bobby, this question's more to you, but Michael, I can answer it too, because I always argue that in 10-year notes, bonds, two years, there's such amazingly large option positions open at the big psychological round numbers, because if you're putting on a six-month trade, you're, you're targeting 4%. You're not targeting 4.06%. Um, do you think it has a magnetic quality at those levels, Bobby? Four percent. I, I do, and I think a lot of it has to do with what goes on in the cash market. Quite frankly. Yeah, that, that's what I think too. Right. Just yeah, I think you do. You don't have a situation where a big insurance company is going. I'm looking to get yields at three seventy four. Right. Exactly. Right. That way. So yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a, it's definitely a factor. More so in uh, interest rate products than every yeah, anything else. And pretty yeah. much anything else. Right. Yeah, but do uh, you mind if I talk real quick about the dollar index? No, we want to. I love the dollar index is the dog. Everything else is the tail in my mind. The dollar, I've been, this has been, this has been painful, not from a trading standpoint, from a time standpoint, because it was waiting on the uh, JPOW interest rate decision. And we finally got a pretty substantial bottoming pattern, especially with this. We should have broken down closer to uh, 100. We did not. And with today's key reversal uh, into the close, we closed above a very key point. So could we still get a minor short-term pullback? Yeah, but I'm looking for a more substantial uh dollar run in the short term up into the weekly rotation zone with the minor target being 103, but a more significant target being about 104 area. So we could see a at least a possible uh, two to three week run in the dollar before another potential topping setup. So That's Bobby, doesn't that mean that everything gets everything gets clobbered? If the dollar's yeah, going to rally for the next three weeks? The interesting part to me, did you see the uh, the PPI from the EU today? I mean, PPI no. from the EU was outrageous. 1.1 plus 1.1 month over month. It was expected at down 0.4. Came Jesus. out of plus 1.1. Their annual was 27 last, revised lower, but it was expected to come in at 22.5. It came in at 24.6. Yet the euro fell. And it shows you how, um, I mean, I think people would have thought after Jerome Powell's press conference that Christine Lagarde, given how strong she was in last press conference, was going to be stronger than Jerome Powell. She wasn't. And the market perceived it that way. Today, we had the New Zealand dollar was down two and a third percent against the US dollar. The Aussie down 2.81%. All of this was pointing toward slower global economies. Yet the euro PPI was through the roof and the euro was down 1% against. So for those of you who didn't connect those quick dots that Mike, that Bobby was just saying, a huge, huge inflation in Europe would, should lead to the ECB turning more hawkish, should lead to the euro going higher. It didn't. Nobody believes their central bank. Nobody. Right. Everybody right. is basically saying, you guys have never told us the truth and it's happening again. So right. if you care about credibility, and Jimmy and I have been opposite sides of this, Jimmy thinks they don't. I think they might. Uh, notice I'm not saying it as strongly as I used to, Jim. Uh, <laughs> I think they might. Um, the market is fighting the Fed. The market is fighting central banks right now. 
And the central banks, I think, I think they caved a little this week. I do. I think, I think any credibility they were building up since like his pals, Jackson Hole, they all just go to our Fed. He completely destroyed this week. He like set himself back months of credibility. It's like, all right, you just unraveled everything. You might have gained a little bit of credibility with the market. You blew it all sky high. In, in, in a matter of this press conference to Jackson Hole. That's two different guys. Yeah. Right. Completely. Interesting. Yeah. So he, you're saying, just, he, you guys are both saying he's t- t- not talking hawkish enough in the shadow of that blockbuster unemployment number coming out and the inflation pressures still being. Let's put it this way. All he kept talking about throughout his flight of the hawk, right, was <laughs> we need to see wages and jobs back off a little bit. We had an almost 12 million jolts number. We had wages, yeah, off a little bit, but still up. And we had jo- the job market stronger than ever, both in jobless claims and in non-farm payrolls, participation rate, every metric. Jobs every were metric. stronger, not weaker. He's like, we're happy to see the disinflation. No, no, the conditions have tightened. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Literally like the, like the reporters were saying, what do you think of the blue sky? And he's like, we think this guy's pretty red. Yeah, we agree. It's ridiculous. And, and how, many, how many disinflation readings have we had? About one. Four in a row. No, no. no. One with a pulp with a name. One. one on a month over a month. I'm not talking oh. about. Okay. Okay. You're we've right. had one. He said disinflation 13 times. It's not yeah. like we've had a bunch. <laughs> yes, inflation is not point. rising as fast as it was before, but we had one month of disinflation. And he's stressing it like, hey, we've seen five, six, seven months of this. What are you guys not seeing? Oh, hang, hang on, Mike. We had one month of deflation. We've had deflation. several months of yeah. deflation. We've had seven months of disinflation, but one right. month of deflation. Right. Disinflation, we've had several months. Deflation, we've only had one. Yes, you are correct. It was like, I think it was a little stressing on the wrong thing. And then the financial index, you know, Tim Ross came out, you know, yesterday, Thursday, the second, and was trying to clarify what he meant by tightening conditions. Like, thou protestest way too much and trying to come up with this little niche definition of what he probably meant when everybody... And I talked, everybody I talked to after that was like, what is he talking about? Which the meaning of the communication is the response you get. And if you say something and everybody's like, huh, what are you watching? Yeah. There's a problem with that. It's not like he said during the press conference, let me clarify the exact what I mean by tightening financial conditions. He just left it like tightening financial conditions. You look at the Bloomberg index. Nah, you look at the Bob cited, uh, you know, the regional Chicago Fed. Nah, any other index I just looked at. Nah. So what is he looking at? Because they're politicians. They just can say it and then have it be it in their mind. So credibility, he just blew it. Yeah. Yeah. He really did. All right. (laughs) Moving right along. (laughs) I mean... This is where I need the costume. <laughs> what do you want to touch on next? Let's take a look at gold uh, yeah. and then crude oil. Good, gold? yeah, because the metals, I did a thing for um, FX Metal. No, what's not FX Metals. FT Metals, I did their podcast yesterday um, mm-hmm. during the day at like 11 o'clock. And I said, with the way things were shaping up, that outside day in gold, any trade below it, and I was going to uh, short gold as a hedge against my long position. And guess what I didn't do? Because I got, <laughs> right? In which I lost a bit of money because that was an easy play, I thought. Well, yeah. We, fantastic analysis because we had the exact same thing. I've been in gold trailing mode uh, for, what, weeks at this point. And yesterday, outside reversal, uh day and then today with the close below uh february 1st low so this was not just an outside day it's an outside key reversal day and right. then with the follow-through breaking down below 1922 
That's it was all right. sold. Yeah. Done. You're done. Let's watch for the pullback. And the pullback, I mean, could we get a bigger pullback? Yeah, but I'm watching the weekly rotations though for a some support. Now we're trading the first level of support, but that doesn't mean there's a buy here. I will be watching next week, but even on a bull, bigger pullback, we could pull back to 1820 area and still not invalidate this longer term up move pattern. But overall, this is what I'm talking about. Overall, when we zoom out, we still Just have sideways. it's uh yeah, we've had a tactical bull run before from from March to June. We had a tactical bear run, and oh, this is where it always helps to zoom out. And overall, we're still in a sideways pattern. And this pullback is going to be very interesting to see if we can really hold this 1820 area. Got it. God, I'm so mad at myself, too, because I knew it. It was an obvious pattern. And then right when unemployment was coming out today, and I was busy as shit, and I didn't do anything. And then I look up and it's down, whatever. Forget it. You live and learn. Yeah. 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 What are we down? 270 basis points? That's not minor. It's not minor. Right. That's big yeah. uh, speaking of, you know, people want to know, is, is are the patterns always correct? No. I'll Why? give you an example. Crude. Yeah. Now, longer term, it's still, we have yet to hit the final target in the bearish pattern, but you can get mini bullish patterns in here. We triggered just barely, but it was still triggered, officially triggered double bottom pattern. That came over, rolled over, and the stop has been hit. So no more bullish pattern. We actually broke down from this flagging pattern too, this uh, little flag pattern. So I'm really focused now on, uh, which is interesting, I'm focused on this uh, six about seventy dollar area again, seventy one fifty, seventy seventy one fifty. But with all the essential, everything's rip roar, and we're all back to rah rah, you know, soft landing, everything else, China reopening, and then oil just actually triggered a Boom. very decent probability bullish pattern and just rolled over and played dead. So Jimmy, this is an interesting thing because we get in our live streams, we get a lot of, are you bullish or bearish questions? And we respond to that all the time with neither. We look for a trigger for a position to be taken, right? And this is a very good example because if Mike looks at the weekly or the monthly where that uh, overall double top is in crude oil right there, which has not reached its ultimate target yet, right? right. That's obviously bearish. Then you get down to the daily pattern and there was a bullish pattern within the daily chart. So that's bullish. So someone will say to me, well, you said you were bearish. Why are you buying crude oil? Because I got a short-term bullish pattern, but you're bearish. Now I have known people who have, you know, they go out to the longer timeframes and Jimmy, you know this, we've talked about it before. The longer the time frame, the more reliable the pattern, but also the less often you get patterns. Right? right because it takes a lot of data for the pattern to actually form and then trigger so a weekly chart pattern is more powerful but they trigger less often so a daily chart pattern is more powerful than a 60 minute pattern but less powerful than a weekly pattern right the probability shifts i'm talking about so i might go long and people will say i thought you were bullish i thought you were i'm sorry i thought you were bearish you just went long i know because i got a long pattern within a longer term bear pattern. So we don't even use those. People have said to me, are you a day trader? Are you a swing trader? I'm a trader. Shut up with those things. You know, it's, it's yeah. just like this idea that you have to, to box yourself into one particular thing. If I had to do that, I'd be a long-term swing trader and I would never take any of the short-term patterns. But in this particular case, because I would have theoretically been short crude oil somewhere around that, you know, uh, low 90s, high 80s, you know, it would have been okay to take a long pattern, it would have been a smaller position because the risk to reward would have, or the risk metrics would have made it, a, I'm sorry, would have been a larger position because the risk, risk, risk metrics would have had me taking more contracts. But the overall profit that I made on the longer term short would still be in play. So 
it's kind of hard to explain in, in this context, but someday we'll do an actual side video on that concept of trading within longer term, trading short term within longer term patterns. And against against my longer term positions too. I was going to yeah. go short. We're just going to do that in gold. And yeah, and I'm long as hell in gold. Yeah. Yeah, you were just going to do that in gold. Yeah, and I call it trading around a core position because you can have a core long term trade, and then take contradictory what they would be contradictory trades because look, I got signals, and doesn't mean I need to unwind my whole. Guy, you can be a long term gold bull and take short term short trades. Yeah. To, so you don't get slaughtered on pullbacks. And guess well, what I'm, happened? I, know, I got slaughtered on the pullback. <laughs> I know I'm taking a Mike's time on this, but I have to do this. I don't, you know, we're getting toward the end of time. And we just finished our fourth week up in a row in the NASDAQ. Uh, we're up four or five on the other three indices, basically. We're up four or five on the NASDAQ as well. The NASDAQ were four consecutive. Um, and I just got the fact set earning scorecard update. And the blended earnings growth rate with 50% of the S&P reporting has gotten worse from the last week. It's actually negative 5.3%. As of last week, it was negative 5%. It's an earnings decline. Um, so it's actually gotten worse. And if this were to be the final earnings decline after the entire earnings season over, it'd be the worst since the third quarter of 2020. Um, also, the companies that have reported actual EP estimates above is 70%, which is below the five-year average and below the 10-year average. That's 77% and 73% respectively. And revenue growth is also below the five-year and below the 10-year average. Earnings by any metric have been terrible. Yeah, we're up four weeks in a row on the NASDAQ. And this is why we, we look at the charts. But, but I will give you the fundamental reason too, and Larry Kudlow and I have had this running argument for 15 years where he says that profits and earnings are the mother's milk of stocks. And I say, no, Fed liquidity is the mother's milk of stocks. Low well, it might rate be now. Yeah, yeah. It might be now. Mm -hmm. But here's the other thing. We have a Fed that just tightened rates and said they're going to tighten again. Yeah. And but earnings we're not going to NASDAQ crap. off 35% because of it. And earnings are crap. So, yeah. But yeah, go ahead. So buy everything. Yeah, well, this my point in saying this is not to actually disagree with Jimmy at all. It's to say that this is why I trade charts. No, I, I agree with you 100%. And again, I always say, say to people, and you guys know this from watching this show, is that Bobby and I are 65 to 70% technical and 30% um, you know, the, of the fundamental is kind of like to, to buttress our technical view. You agree with that assessment, Bob? I do, and that's why I talk to Mike a lot because he is the voice of reason when my fundamental view is starting to take over. Right. Well, that's about, that's about an hour. We don't want well, to. You got to touch on one thing, though, Jim. Go, go, no. go! You betcha. Copper. Don't even start with me because I was supposed to hedge some of that too. You're still <laughs> right here. You're still very. I'm still right. right. Yeah. Well, you're Copper very hit good. hit the double bottom targets. It, it it finished all the double bottom targets. Uh, yeah. You know what? So that trade was over. The next thing, and I've, I've put this out on our, our YouTube channel repeatedly, but it needed to close above 432. That was which, my level, 435, right. Yeah. 432, in order to continue a bull run, needed to close above there. It got rejected on the 18th, and since that time has rolled over. So does that mean we're bearish now on copper? No, but we're watching for the pullback play, and we could easily return to, you know, 393, 395, theoretically, before we'll be watching for another play. But the key level, if you want to, besides any short-term pattern that might set up on this pullback, the major level that in order for it to continue a bull run is 432 on a closing basis. So. Got it. Yeah, that's what I was going to do. That. If it closed above there, my level is 435, but you know, six and one, uh, I was going to add to my already uncomfortably long. But as, as I, if you guys heard me on that podcast yesterday, I should have just gone right to my screens and started hedging the crap out of my silver, copper, and gold, and I didn't. Well, here you was doing your job though instead, which is weird. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and this is why we also 
put up they put up these targets they've been up for a while but here are the old targets for the double bottom trade and you can see on this is on the weekly basis you can see spiking up right to that final target area and then rolling over it's why we use targets because yeah it, it hit yeah. A key, the key levels that tested out and then it would have had to have been a all right got out of copper waiting now for either a new continuation buy pattern we went all right we paused there we broke to new highs we closed above that 432 boom continuation i'm back on the train or wait for the pullback and now a pullback buy signal if one manifests and i'll right. tell you what jimmy we talked about a uh, space what we renamed a clear path here's one on the weekly chart i don't know if you remember this but i'll kind of review it really quickly before we go um, space is a prior move of multi co same colored candles in a row that the okay. market will feel very comfortable trading in this case back up into Mike, if you want to move the mouse along those, uh, six or seven red weekly candles, there. the red ones. Yeah. Yeah. The market feels very comfortable trading back up into that same thing happens on multiple green candles up. The market will feel very comfortable trading back down into those when they're in a row like that. You don't always get to the top of the first red candle in one quick move. It usually moves like this. So I still have a target for copper of around 446.55 or so. That's an approximation of where the top of that one first red candle is. And Mike's pullback is exactly where I take the opportunity to take another shot at it coming to that level if I, I may do that. that way. And yeah. then, Mike, if you can compress that chart, just to go ahead with what you were doing. Um, to the left of that space, you have an area of congestion. And it was very much a, I mean, if you look at it, I'm, I'm just kind of roughing out the amount of time for that congestion. It's about 57 weeks, approximately, 58 weeks, somewhere in that move. That is going to take a long time to break above. But when it yeah. does, your copper thesis that you've been preaching for 12 to 18 months or longer is going to break out and you'll be able to take a victory lap and, and enjoy the applause because you're dead right on that, in my opinion. Cool, I like that too. And just to, for the icing on the cake, I put on our forward harmonics projections since we have a weekly pausing bar now in this pullback. The end of that clear path move uh, slash space you were talking about, Bob, was 447. The forward harmonic is now 450. So that okay. is the next key Love target it. area right there. Beautiful. That's a weekly chart, everybody. So it's a little bit longer term. Yeah, so that's, that's not for tomorrow. <laughs> that's not going to happen next week. Cool. All right. All right. Anyone got anything? Got anything else? Or can I go take a snooze and then head to the bar? No, I think we'll skip the stocks. I want to talk about some stocks. We'll do them next time. Okay, is that okay? Yeah, it's totally okay. Cool. All right, have a great weekend, you guys. Thank you, Michael. Your stuff is always fabulous. I really appreciate it very much. Hey, Mike, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, you can find the best way is on uh, YouTube, uh, Path Trading Partners. Just search YouTube for Path Trading Partners, or you can go follow us on Twitter, Path underscore Trading. And you can always find me on Twitter at MG Arnold. So there you go. Very cool. All right. See you all. Have a great weekend. When you guys will be seeing this, it's Monday morning and have a great week. Thank Cheers you. Thank you for having me back on, Jim and Bob.